much to be thankful for, don't we? And we so often don't give thanks to God. Chuck, Pastor Chuck spoke last week about one of the reasons why we don't do that. We, we're not really in awe of God. We don't really hold Him. We don't really see Him for who He really is. So in the spirit of Thanksgiving, in the spirit of Christmas, gift giving, I want to give away this, this book this morning. It just came out. It's called, simply called Awe. I've been reading it for the past couple weeks. We don't have it yet at our bookstall, I don't believe, but hopefully shortly, and it just came out. So who would read this book called Awe that might help you to see God more for who he really is and be more thankful of God? Anyone? Great. Shane, come on up here. You will have to tell me what you think of the book. Okay? Thanks. So Chuck, Pastor Chuck, I should mention, is, is away with his family this this weekend, so you can be praying for them that they would enjoy some time together as a family. They'll be back uh, tomorrow, so uh, do be in prayer for them. And as we transition from Thanksgiving into Christmas, from Thanksgiving season into Christmas season, uh, I find it a little bit ironic, uh, perhaps you do too, that uh, Christmas is now known for what? Christmas is now known for what, what Black Friday, that's, that's right. I wasn't thinking about that, but that's true. It's known for Black Friday. It's known for what can I get? What can I get? What, what sort of things can I get uh, for myself? So it becomes about stuff. It becomes about me. Or if it's not about that, it's, it's just a, a holiday about busyness. Um, there's way more time spent preparing for the holiday than actually thinking about and dwelling on and meditating on what Christmas is really all about. So. We've exchanged the humility and poverty of the stable for the indulgence and the selfishness of gift-giving. We've exchanged the quietness of Bethlehem with the loudness of shopping malls. The true value of gifts given by wise men has been replaced by plastic toys given to children. The filth of the stable has been replaced by the glittering newness of iPhones. And the glory of the Lord being revealed is now obscured by commercialism, obscured by activity, obscured by nicely decorated homes. So this then, I think, is the perfect time, transitioning from Thanksgiving as we prepare to Christmas, to think and to dwell on why we don't praise, why we don't give thanks to God, what keeps us from doing that, why I so enjoy making life all about me, why I so much want to be the center of everything. So next week, by the way, we'll, we'll begin a new uh, short sermon series on looking at Christ as he's found in the Psalms. So it should be a, a great time as we look at the Psalms and see how, how uh, Jesus is revealed in, in those uh, uh, passages in, in the Psalms. So it should be a fun series. But today we're going to talk about our hearts. We're going to do a little, hopefully, heart surgery in preparation for Christmas. We're going to do a little heart preparation as, as we look towards the coming, coming year. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 14. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find that uh, in the seat back in front of you. And I'm sure that most of you spent the holiday weekend reading Ezekiel so you know exactly where it is, right? Uh, you'll find Ezekiel, um, actually you won't find Ezekiel himself. Ezekiel is not a little short skinny man. You won't find him in your Bible. You'll find the the book of Ezekiel, written by the prophet Ezekiel, behind Psalms and Isaiah and Jeremiah. So it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It's on page 480 of the, the Bibles that we provided for you. 
And Ezekiel chapter 14, I'm just going to read the first seven verses. So we see, just to set this up a little bit, we see the, the, in this passage, we see the, the prophet Ezekiel. Think of him like a spiritual guru. He's, uh, think of somebody kind of sitting at the top of the mountain answering questions. People are coming to him for answers and uh, with questions, and, and he's giving them, he's providing the answers. So that's not all he did, of course, but he was a prophet of God, a mediator between God and man, and these people have come to him with questions. So Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart, and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. So that requires a little bit of explanation. I will give that to you in a minute. Uh, but one thing, just real briefly, that I want you to, to see is that the heart is mentioned four times in this passage. So the heart is very important. The heart is set to worship on things. Our hearts want to worship something. So I want you to leave your, your Bibles open to that passage. I'm going to get back there in a minute. We're going to talk more about that. But since this passage talks about the heart so much, I think it would be a good thing for us to, to look at what does the rest of the Bible say about the heart? What, is, what does the rest of Scripture tell us about the heart? And one of the things we'll find is that the heart is of great importance to God. We see the heart mentioned over and over and over in Scripture. Just one of those passages, Proverbs 4.23 instructs us, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So the springs of life flow from the heart. It's the wellspring of life. So because of that, we should guard it with just partial vigilance. We should guard it, just give, give it a little bit of attention, just a little bit of thought. Right? Well, no, of course not. We should guard it with all vigilance. We should protect it. We should care for it. We should seek to make it important, that it, to give it the care that it deserves. And the reason for that is that the heart drives all of our behaviors. And we see that in Mark chapter 7, that the heart drives all of our behaviors. We see that in Mark 7, where Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, pro-wrestling, traffic jams, left lane slow driving, and those cookies that have raisins in them but you think they're chocolate chips and you bite into them and you... All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. I was just kidding about 
pro wrestling. Well, wasn't really kidding about, about chocolate chip or raisin cookies, so they're an abomination. Um, I shouldn't say any more than that. So, so for from within, out of the heart, the heart produces all that bad stuff. All that evil stuff comes out of the heart. It's not that the devil made me do it. It's not that I can rightly blame other people for my sins. It's that my heart, all that junk is in us, and it comes from us. Now, that sounds awful, doesn't it? It sounds desperately wicked. But if you're a believer in Christ today, praise God that that doesn't have to be you. Jesus was talking about the Pharisees here. He was talking about the religious leaders who were not really believers in God, who were just all about rules and laws and, and making things look pretty. Uh, they didn't have clean hearts. So praise God if you're a believer in Christ, that doesn't have to be you. Sexual immorality, uh, evil thoughts, evil things, all those things don't have to be us because we're a child of God. You can choose to follow God because you've been delivered from that evil by the blood of Christ. And because of what Jesus was going to do on the cross, because he shed his blood on the cross for us as believers, he can rightly say in Luke chapter 6, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. So how is your heart today? Is it good? And by that I mean, are you treasuring Christ above all else? Or is your heart on life support? Maybe you're a Christian, but those outside of this room wouldn't know it. Or maybe you would be appalled to know uh, if someone really knew what was going on inside your life, inside your heart. If people really saw what was really happening, you'd be appalled. You wouldn't want them to know that. Or maybe your heart is dead. Maybe you're flatlining. You're not hooked up to the source, the source of life, the only one who can give you that life, Jesus Christ. Even the good things that you do are merely self-serving and are really just about you or for you. So pretty important thing, our hearts. God takes our hearts very seriously. Pretty important questions to consider. So what then does our heart do? What do our hearts do? Well, one thing that we see in Scripture is that our hearts treasure. They hold things near and dear. We see that in several passages that our hearts treasure, but, but probably no more so than in Jesus' teaching uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where your treasure is, your heart is. And what you set your heart upon, that's what you will treasure. The problem, though, with treasures is that they don't stay external to us. In fact, they never were external in the first place. The things that we value, whether it's money or family or education or a career, relationships, no matter what it is, uh, those things don't stay external to us. They're a part of us. And most of those things that I mentioned, money, education, career, those are not bad things. Those are good things, right? They're, they're generally good things. 
But if those things, if, if, we, if we put those things above God, then those things become idols to us. Those things become the thing that we, we focus our life on. So if your treasure is your money, and by that I mean if you value your money more than you value God, then you don't own your money, it owns you. You make all sorts of decisions based on keeping it, on growing it, on, on what to do with it, how to save it, what to spend it on. And it consumes you, it runs your life. And when God says he wants you to do something with your money that you don't want to do, then what do you say? You say, mine, this is mine. We're like two-year-olds in that sense. This is my money, God, you don't have authority in my life over that. If your treasure is your boyfriend, and by that I mean if you value your relationship or your pursuit of that relationship more than you value God, then when God tells you that that guy is not the right one for you, you won't have it. Or when your boyfriend asks something of you that's contrary to God's word, then you listen to your boyfriend rather than listening to God. If your treasure is autonomy, and by that I mean if, if you value your personal freedom, your ability to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, or to not do what you don't want to do, if you value your personal freedom more than you value God, then you can make God into whatever you want him to be. So when you come to passages of scripture that you don't agree with, things that, that you find in scripture that, that clash with your idea of personal freedom, you can disregard those things. You can just toss those things aside. And you can make a God, you can make God into whatever you want him to be. Because your sense of personal autonomy, your sense of personal freedom is really your God, is really your idol. So our hearts treasure, and they follow what they treasure. And our behaviors and our choices are shaped by what we treasure. So if our treasure is career, then we'll behave however necessary to get that promotion. And if our treasure is approval from others, then we will do whatever, we'll say yes to whoever asks. We'll do whatever we can to make sure that people like us. So this is a, a tough topic, uh, I think. It's tough for me, anyway. So perhaps a personal example would help. When we first moved to Arizona about 20 years ago, uh, my personal treasure, my idol, one of them, I have many, uh, one of my idols was, was comfort or ease. So when I came home from work or came home from school, I didn't want to be bothered. I mean, God forbid that I should have to do the dishes, right? That's not, I just want to sit down and relax. I just want to veg. Uh, or if the church asked me to do something that I didn't want to do, that I wasn't comfortable with, or it was a, not at the right time, not convenient for me, then I didn't want to do that either. So God has graciously and at times painfully worked to remove that heart of false treasure. He's worked to replace that desire for comfort with, listen to this, he's worked to replace that desire for comfort with a love for God, a love for him, and a love for people. Now that hasn't been a fun process. Uh, I very much wish that God, or that I had uh, paid attention to the first few nudges that God gave me rather than uh, waiting for him to get my attention in other ways before that. But I can truly say that, that now I'm, I'm really not that bothered when something unexpected comes up, when I have to do something that, that maybe I, I didn't have planned or that wasn't necessarily even in my comfort zone. It's easier for me now than it was. God has worked to remove that false treasure from my life. So God has changed me. 
at least in that area. Now, I know people that know me know that there are many more than that that God is still working on, but that's one area that God has worked to change in my heart, to take that false treasure away. So again, our hearts treasure, but what's more than that, our hearts also desire. They seek to take hold of, and they seek to grasp more and more and more. They want more. Our hearts desire the most unhealthy of things. Romans, Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, he said, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Paul is reminding us that the desires of our flesh, the desires of our heart are evil. And we often do those evil deeds in the dark, whether that's in the darkness of night or in the darkness of our own hearts where no one else can see what's going on. Just as an example of that, how many of you would be fine if everyone here were to see how you spent your money in the past month? Or if uh, people were to see what, what happened in your marital relationship, how you treat your spouse? Or if people were to see what, what happens when you're on your computer or on your phone when no one else is around. We do things in the dark. We seek after things that aren't of God. We don't want people to know about those things. So those are difficult things for us to think about. For most of us would not want people to know those things. Most of us, including myself, our hearts often desire things that aren't of God. And our hearts all too often desire pleasure. They seek after security in things other than God. They seek after an identity in someone other than our Creator. So pretty important thing, our hearts. So what about this passage in Ezekiel? Let's get back to that and let's talk through what was happening in this passage of Ezekiel. So in that passage we see that our hearts are built to worship. And again, maybe a little further background on, on that would be helpful. The people of Israel are in bondage. They were in, in their homeland, and they were uh, taken captive by the kingdom of, of Babylon. So now they're in captivity. They're slaves. They're in exile. They're refugees away from their home of Israel. Now they're in the kingdom of Babylon. So it's a, it's a desolate, a difficult time for God's people. So how might you expect the people of Israel to be responding or to be, to be acting during that time when they've been torn from their homes when they're in slavery? How would you expect them to be, to be responding? Well, how would you be responding? How do you respond when you're in the midst of a great trial? Well, we would hope that during those times of great trial that we're fervently seeking after God, that we are seeking to, to get answers from Him, to get wisdom, to be able to find comfort or some sort of peace or joy, even in the midst of our trials. We're, that's what we would hope that we are doing. But instead, all too often like us, the Israelites are turning to things other than God. They're treasuring things. They're looking for comfort in things other than, than God. And of course, we do that too. We all have idols. We all have things that we take comfort in, things that we turn to God. Instead of looking uh, to God, we look to other things to find that comfort or that, that peace or that joy. 
So we see in chapter 14 of Ezekiel that the, the leaders of Israel are seeking an audience with the prophet of God, Ezekiel. They're, they're asking for a little consultation help. They're in captivity, and they're trying to find some sort of comfort from, from God. So they go to Ezekiel. But God is frustrated by this hypocrisy because they're not just going to God, they're going to other idols. They're speaking it out of both sides of their mouths. So God says, essentially, to Ezekiel, he says, they're speaking it out of both sides of their mouths. They're asking you to consult with me and to give them an answer, to provide some comfort. Yet, on the other hand, they're seeking and trying to find their own comfort apart from me, their own comfort in idols. And so God is angry, but he's, he's angry with a purpose. God is a jealous God. He doesn't like our idols. And when we use the word jealousy, jealousy is a hard thing, isn't it? It has a, a negative connotation, the word jealousy, but uh, it's hard for us to, to mesh that with, with God. God is holy, God is perfect, and yet here we're, we're calling him jealous. So God is good always. He can't be defined by a bad, evil, or less than perfect character trait. So we need to understand that jealousy, at least in this context, jealousy is not always a bad thing. So just as an aside, when, when we struggle with, with what the Bible teaches, when we struggle with something that we see in Scripture that, that doesn't make sense to us or seems to be contradictory in some way, we need to have the humility to understand that the problem is not with Scripture, the problem is not with God, the problem is with us, that we need to get ourselves in line with what Scripture says. We need to seek to try to understand God more so that we can more fully understand what Scripture says. So that's, that's what's going on here. Let me, let me um, give you an example of this. Um, so think with me for just a second about this, this issue of jealousy. If, if, if I'm jealous, if I have a friend who has a new car and I'm jealous of them, that would be sinful, right, for me to be jealous of somebody who has a new car. Yes, that'd be, that'd be sinful. But let's... Uh, get more real for a moment, and if, if some other man starts showing affection for my wife, it would be rightly said that I'm jealous for my wife, right? So I will do, she's my wife, I'll, I'll defend her, I'll protect her, I'll, I'll seek her affection with all of my strength and all of my ability. And that's not a bad thing, that's not a sinful thing. Now, that's the kind of jealousy that God has for us, but on a whole other level. And let, let me back up. Using that example, um, I know that may have struck a chord with some who have either had abusively jealous husbands or you know somebody who's, who's had an abusively jealous boyfriend. That's not what I'm talking about here. So whereas I'm imperfect and um, uh, an imperfect husband, God truly is undoubtedly our best. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God truly is our best? Do you understand that there's nothing better for you personally than a holy God who loves you? So when we start looking in other directions away from God, God is jealous for our affections. And God will do whatever is necessary in order to bring us back, in order to point us back to Him. And that's a good thing. That's what's happening in this passage here. God is, is trying to get the Israelites' attention. He's jealous for their affections because they're focusing on things other than Him. So it's very easy to think or believe that God is preventing our joy. 
but God is on the side of our best happiness. Think back to my example of, of comfort earlier. I thought that was my best bet for happiness, was to just be able to sit in front of the TV and veg and, and not have to do anything. I thought that was my idea of, of what would make me happiest, what would be best for me. But that wasn't true. God is my only hope for happiness. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God was and God is jealous for me to make him my best, not to put comfort or any other idol ahead of him. God is jealous for my affections and that's what's happening here. God's desire is in pursuit of his people to bring them back to him. So notice what God says about the idols of the people of, of Israel. In verse 3, God says, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. Again, as I said, idols are not external to us. Idols always take root and take hold of our very hearts. In fact, idols emanate. They come from our hearts. They drive us. The heart sets the course of life. And the heart is set, is to be set only upon God. And that's a tall task to have our hearts set only upon God, especially at any time, but in the world we live in where there are so many other things that capture our attention, so many other things that, that call out our name. So if, if God is our best, if God truly is our best, then shouldn't our hearts be set on Him and Him alone? See how often the heart is referenced in these seven verses. In verse 3 it said, men have taken their idols into their hearts. A similar thing is said in verses 4 and 7. And then God makes a point of saying in verse 5 that he desires to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel. So God clearly views the heart as the wellspring, as the source, as of utmost importance. And these seven verses show us that it's possible to follow our idols and yet still seek after God. The elders of Israel did that. They had their idols and they still sought after God. So do we do that? Well, of course we do. So let me ask, you're here today, it's Sunday, you're here at church, but are you just going through the motions in your relationship with God? Are you really following and feeding your idols all while seeking after God, His blessing on your life? Are you speaking out of both sides of your mouth? Instead of the Babylonian captors, have you adopted the ways of your American captors? And yet you're still trying to pay heed to your citizenry, your citizenship as a, in the kingdom of God. Like the elders of Israel, it's foolish for us to think that we can serve God or we can please Him or we can gain His favor when our hearts and our, our eyes are set on other idols, on things other than Him. So how do we do that? How do, we, how do we call out to our idols? How do we seek our idols, follow our idols, and yet we still seek after God? Well, let me give you a couple of examples of that. Uh, college students, or perhaps youth, um, perhaps young adults, maybe even uh, older adults. Have you ever asked God to bless your relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, all while engaging in them, uh, engaging sexually with them? or other people, everyone else. Have you ever asked God for favor with your finances, for financial blessing, 
for wisdom on what to do with your finances, all while engaging in your wants and not your needs, all while spending recklessly, while not giving generously, speaking it out of both sides of your mouth. What about, uh, one more, have you ever asked God for direction in your life? Have you ever asked him for help to know what to do? But in every other aspect of your life, you're living as though you're the one who's actually in control. You're living as though you're the God of your life, but you just want God's help in this one area. God, give me direction here. I've got everything else covered. We all seek after idols and seek after God. But God is jealous. He wants us to focus only on him. And it's easy to let those idols cloud our vision. And God sees it to be just as foolish for us as he did for the elders, the leaders of Israel at that time. So like you, God continues to work on me. Right now I mentioned comfort and ease earlier. And, and are those not just uh, about selfishness on my part? Those are really just selfish, selfish things on my part. I, when I was in high school, I used to want to retire when I hit 50, and uh, that desire is gone, partly because I'm much older now and approaching 50. Um, I played football uh, yesterday with uh, the uh, college kids and youth and people who are half my age, and I felt it. So uh, I know that I'm rapidly approaching the aged. So that desire is gone to retire when I was 50, but. I place way too much value still on being comfortable. I'm increasingly being convicted that, that um, God is, that, that there are things that I'm still holding out that I don't want to give up to God. Things that I hold near and dear that are comfortable for me that God wants me to give up, to get out of my comfort zone and give up to him. So pray for me in that, pray for my family in that as well. And I know that the examples that I may have given today may pale in comparison to something you're struggling with. You may be struggling with, with different kinds of things and what, greater things than what I'm talking about as we talk about talking out of both sides of our mouths. But whatever it is, God wants to remove it. And he wants to remove it because it's for our best. God has our best in mind. So remember that God is jealous. That's not a bad thing. God's not a cosmic killjoy. He doesn't want to suck all the fun out of your life. He just knows that when we build or we center our life on anything other than him, then the result is ultimately painful. When we build our life on anything other than God, the result is ultimately uh, some sort of distance from God and some form of pain. So God wants to restore us, the idolatrous. He wants to restore us back to him. Two times in these seven verses, God reveals that his desire is for his people. He wants us back. So hear me on this. He doesn't want us back so that we can just act perfectly. It's not, it's not that God is, is um, unconcerned with our behavior. He, he, he wants us to behave well, of course, but he, far more important than that is our heart. He wants our heart. He wants us to turn our eyes back to him, to be in awe of him, to see him for who he is. And in verse 5, he reveals his purpose. He, he says that he wants to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. So God's desire is for his people. He wants your heart. He wants to be your treasure. And if you're here today and you're a believer in Christ and you're chasing after idols, then God is saying, turn back 
to mean. He wants you to turn away from your idols. He wants you to tur turn towards him. Because we're not going to find satisfaction. We're not going to find comfort. We're not going to find peace or joy in anything, ultimately, other than God. Idols are made to fail. That money that you either hoard and hold on to or that you spend seeking comfort and pleasure and security, that will consume you and that money won't last. Or if it does, you'll die without it. It won't save you. Or what about that desire for personal autonomy, the ability to control your life, to do what you want to do when you want to do it, to not have to do the things that you don't want to do? Well, that's an idol, and even that fails. Ultimately, we find out at some point that we don't have control. Relationships fail, health fails, careers fail. That seems pretty bleak, to put it that way, right? Yet we continue to set our hearts on things that aren't of God. And the reason we do that is because we don't see God for who he really is. We're not in awe of God. We don't see God for, for everything that he can offer us. And so we see this shiny thing over here, and we put our attention on that and take our attention off, off of God. God is the only one who is able to hold up under the weight of our expectations. And only God can provide true, lasting peace, joy, satisfaction, comfort. And that's what the elders were missing. Even in their exile, even when they had been taken away from their homeland, even in their time of suffering, if they'd only turned to God, then their circumstances wouldn't have changed, but their hearts would. And so, because of that, their hopes and their dreams would have changed as well. And that's the way it is with us, too. In the midst of our suffering, in our times of suffering, God may not take away that suffering, but when our hearts are focused on him, our our hopes change, our dreams change as well. So how do we set our hearts on God? Well, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, first clean the inside of the cup, then the outside will be clean. And he wasn't giving instructions on how to do your dishes there. He's, he's saying that the first step is to make sure that your heart is clean. So have you confessed that you're a sinner? Have you confessed that you need Jesus, that you're incapable of reaching God's standard of holy perfection on your own, that you're a sinner and you need to confess your sins to him, you need to turn away from that sin and ask for God's mercy? If not, that's the very first step. But even so, we as believers in Christ often have idols. And if that's you, and very certainly, as I said, it's, it's me, then we have to confess our idols. And a good way to find out where your heart is, is to ask the question, if I were to lose fill in the blank, if I were to lose whatever this is, then I'd be devastated. My life would be ruined. I don't think that I could go on. Now think about that for a moment. How would you answer that question? For many, it'll be your children. And not that children, not that that would not be devastating to lose your children, but if you spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about the safety of your kids, uh, how to care for them, if you're worried about them, anxious all the time, perhaps your kids are an idol. For many, it might be your health. It might be your career. It might be your freedom to do what you want to do on your weekends. So what do you seek to perform? to protect? What do you see? What do you hold near and dear? What do you not want to give up? That's a pretty good indication that that's what your idol is. 
So as we begin to close, how, how do we set our hearts on God then? How do we treasure God more than anything else? Well, a, a couple of things that I would give you just that might be helpful. Is the first is to pray. You would expect to hear that. We just had a sermon series on prayer. We, we should pray. We should seek God. We should ask God to help us to want, to want, to want to spend time with him. When we spend time with God, we see him more for who he really is. That makes those other things begin to fade away. So the second thing is to meditate on the work of Jesus. Meditate of, on the work of Jesus on the cross. Thinking about the cross will humble your heart, and it will crush your pride. The cross helps us see that we're sinners. And when I think of the God of this universe willfully, humbly dying for sins that he didn't commit for my sins, it's humbling beyond measure. It crushes my pride, but it also makes me feel more loved than I could possibly imagine. It makes me see and understand how much he loves me that he's willing to do that for me. So spending time with God, praying, and reminding myself of the cross makes the treasures of this world unimportant. They begin to fade away in our life. How could I choose personal autonomy or a relationship, or a career, education, or anything else above the God who, saves, who saved me and the God who loves me. So what if you truly gave everything to God? If your hearts were clean, if they were set on him, then you'd be willing to do whatever he asked you to do. If, if God asked you to move closer to the church home, to this, to this church, so that you could more effectively minister and care for the people around you, you'd certainly do it. If God asked you to serve on Sunday morning, maybe serve at 9.30 in the preschool department so that the kids could learn knowing the love of God, grow up knowing the love of God, knowing the love of this church family, then you'd certainly do that. If God asked you to quit working 60 hours a week on your 40-hour-a-week job so you could spend more time with your family, then you'd certainly do that. So we need to see that God is infinitely more valuable than anything else. This world won't last. Set your heart on the one who is infinitely perfect, who's infinitely loving, who's infinitely just, infinitely holy, the one who died so that you might have life, a life that's better than what this world offers. So as Christmas approaches, as the new year rapidly comes upon us, where is your heart? Does anything other than God motivate you? Does anything other than God have your complete attention? Does anything other than God completely delight you? Does anything other than God have your heart? If so, we need to submit that idol to God because only God is worthy of our complete devotion and affection. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word that instructs us, that teaches us, that helps us to see who you really are. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who convicts us, who, who reveals you to us. God, we, we thank you that you have given us everything that we need. And God, in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulties, pray that we would seek after you, that we would not seek comfort in things other than you. In the midst of, of good times, blessings, God, I pray that, that we would not be captured by the American dream, captured by things that, 
that really are not going to provide the satisfaction, uh, the joy, the, the hope that you provide. So God, we, we ask that you would help us to identify and know what our idols are. Help us to seek to remove those. Help us to seek to share and confess those idols to others within our, our community that would lovingly help us and pray for us and encourage us. God, only you are worthy of our devotion and our affection. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.